You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Not to tell you something, people. I looked out my window today, and it's amazing. I have these squirrels in my backyard, and I have such a fascination for them because they just have so much fun. They have, like, no cares. They're just running around. They come up on my uh, table. They jump on my grill, and it, it fascinates me that, you know, how lucky they are. And I heard something today, which I've never heard. Squirrels make noise. They make this weird pitch, which I never knew. I, I thought it was a cat in my backyard. So be nice to your squirrels. And, and if you ever have some nuts hanging around the house, just throw them outside. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a uh, such a talented guest. You know, she, you know her from the band The Go-Go's, from the Delphines, from the Blue Bonnets. She's a speaker, she's a writer, and I just found out she's an actor, and I believe she recently won an award, and my guest is Kathy Valentine. How you doing, Kathy? I'm good. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, so tell me, I, I saw your tweet. Uh, tell me about this movie. You were just in a movie, and you won a Supporting Actress Award? Um, the, the movie was done in 2016 and, um, it, it took them a long time to, I guess, get to the editing and everything done. And it's been getting into some festivals. And now I think at one of them, it was a one, a, a very small indie festival, but yeah, I got best supporting actress. Now, what made you gravitate into acting? Is it something that you've always wanted to do? I know, you know, you've been in videos and things like that, but what made you want to get into acting, and how did you go about getting that role? Um, I didn't want, want to act, really, at all, but the director decided he wanted me for the part, and he contacted me on Facebook or some kind of social media, and I my first... Uh, my first reaction was to decline, you know, and I just said, I don't do that. I, I mean, I'm not really an actor. And then he wanted to meet in person and, and send me the script and this and that. And <clears throat> then I got to the point, well, I wouldn't mind doing it, but I would only want to do it if I could do a really good job, you know, at it. So um, I kind of just let him talk me into it. And when I read the script, I thought it sounded fun. And it's it's a, a Derek Honan had a theater company in New York City called The Amoralist, and he's written several plays, and this was his first uh, screenplay and directorial debut. So it was um, it was just a really frightening but fun experience, and I, I, um, I'm pleased I did it. Uh, the older I get, the more I like to do things that I find challenging and kind of scary. They kind of make you feel alive and um i would do it again if i had the chance i definitely would now now what are some of the other things that you are doing that you said you know are more scary and to make you feel feel more alive what are some of those things you've done um well the first time i was asked to to be a public speaker was very frightening and i discovered after doing it that i really liked it kind of like the acting uh you know, you kind of sometimes you just have to go out of your comfort zone. And when I was asked to, when I was invited to write a memoir for UT Press, as I got into, at first I was thrilled, but as I got into it, uh, I found that you know, a, a not only daunting and and a massive uh, 
achievement, but it was just, you know, a little disconcerting, and it'll probably go through that again as it comes out. But to to reveal yourself in that manner is is a bit um, uh, nerve wracking. <laughs> I could imagine, yeah, because you are, and and it's something that you're putting your life out there on paper, and also. As a book comes out, there's probably edits and there's probably some stuff you may want in and the publishers may not want in or a conflict like that. So it must be hard when you're putting your life in words. It's it's really hard and you want to protect people. And, and at the same time, I don't believe a memoir is a memoir unless it's, you know, you're not sitting there bleeding, right. you know, I... I but at the same time, you don't want to be a, a gaping wound, right. you know. It's like nobody wants to sit there and read, you know, as ad nauseum about someone's never-ending wounds. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's that it's all about balance and judgment, which is so much is art. So much of art of any kind is, is really about balance and judgment, and that's what makes your style. And I hope that my style as a writer is going to resonate with people because I would very much like to write. Uh, I think I have definitely a couple more books in me, and I would very much like the opportunity to do that. And I don't know if I'll get it unless I, you know, succeed to some moderate level. Now, your your memoir is about your life. And now, when did you start playing music? Because you've had a, a very successful career that's spanned for a long time. And, you know, that says a lot. When did you decide to pick up the guitar or was there music around your house? When did this whole journey start? When I was a teenager in the 60s, and I, like like most teenagers and most kids, I was always drawn to music. And I had played uh, violin and my, my grandfather was a musician and <laughs> not that I heard him play or it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of music around our house. No, but I, I was drawn to music and, and rock and roll in particular. And the scene in Austin where I grew up was very, um, it was a big music scene here and, uh, a lot of places to, a diverse amount of, of music. I mean, when I was younger, I saw everyone from, you know, Ray Charles to John Lee Hooker to, you know, Bruce Springsteen to just, and even on a local level, there was, you know, swing bands and blues bands, the Thunderbirds and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Doug Somm. So I was, I, I really give a lot of credit to Austin, but I, that's so even though I was drawn to music and I did start playing guitar at the age of 16, it didn't really occur to me that I could be in a band until I saw Susie Quattro. And uh, I was in England. My mom is, is English. So we spent many, many months of my growing up visiting relatives in, in England. And I was there in 1973 and saw Susie Quattro on top of the pops. And that's when I kind of put it together that, Hey, I could do this too. What, so, what was the excitement when you saw her? I mean, because as you said, there wasn't a lot of uh, women playing, you know, at that time doing what you wanted to do. Was it just, just you saw it and it just went off in your head? I'd never seen, I had never seen a female rock star. The only, uh, 
the only women in rock I had seen were, were singers, you know, um, and or standing on, you know, standing at the microphone doing backups, you know, or 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 sing, being a lead singer. I'd never seen a woman with an instrument standing there with a bunch of guys with you know shag haircuts and you know stacks of amps behind her as well as the guys. I just hadn't seen that. And there there were bands prior to to Susie. I mean, she'd been in a band when she was sixteen in Detroit. And and Fanny had been successful, but I didn't know about any of these. They didn't really filter down to me. I didn't find out about women in bands until much later in life. And it's it's something I would like to see change. I'd like to see the the history of of women playing in bands be a little bit more accessible and and relevant. So you see her. And then you decide, what are you going to do now? What Do you do a course of action? You say, I can do this. Where, where do you go from there? I was very fixated on being an all-female band. I wanted to be with other girls. So I, I went back home and started looking to Austin and started looking for someone else, you know, to start a band with. And I recruited my best friend and got her to play drums and started a band with a couple of guys and me and my best friend. And uh, then we found a female bass player and we started a, a female trio. And I was just kind of off and running. And right around then, the Runaways came through Austin. This was about 1976. And um, I'd been doing it for a few years. And I that was the first I had an inkling that there was some, there were people my age, there was a band my age out there doing all the things I wanted to do. So that was exciting when I got to see the Runaways. And they came through later, and I met Joan and, and um, hung out with her and the other girls and decided to move to L.A. and got out there about 1979. What, was, what was it like when you landed in L.A.? I lived in L.A. for 18 years, and, and it's so different. I mean, here you hear, you know, L.A., and you think it's this crazy place and when you get there you get to the valley and stuff like that it's sort of subdued but what was your first take when you first moved to LA well it was hard you know I, I was 19 and I didn't have any money and my band kind of broke up as soon as we got there and uh, with kind of ditched me and so it it was hard and I um I started writing songs a lot because I was very lonely and didn't have um a big social life and I, I was used to going to clubs and bars in Austin where the drinking age was 18 but in LA it was 21 and it was I, I struggled for a little bit and then another friend came out and we we started a band called the Textones out there and we kind of integrated into the scene pretty quickly but it, it was a great scene musically it, it wasn't that different than what I was accustomed to in Austin in the, the scope and, and spectrum and diversity of bands. There was rockabilly and, and punk bands and power pop bands. It was a great era in 1978 and 79. The scene in, in L.A. was fantastic, and I really enjoyed the, the music. Now, what, what, kind of, what kind of music were the Textones playing? When you were, it was kind of rootsy, like kind of like 
um, you know, influenced by a lot by Rock Pile and uh, Niccolo and Dave Edmonds, so Tom Petty. Okay, so you're, you're you're with them, and now how do you end up joining the Go Go's? I believe the Go Go's were already formed, and they were more punk, I think, in the beginning, right? They were uh, they were a punk band in the beginning, but when I joined, you know, they they had. Uh, I mean, I just kind of judge a band by their songs, and they they had good songs, and I I uh, was accepted a a job basically to to fill in for their bass player Margo, who had been gotten sick, and they had eight shows at the Whiskey, two shows a night for four nights, and uh, I agreed to to learn the songs and do the do the shows as a substitute and from that point on i was basically in the band and i i write about all this much more in depth in my memoir it's the memoir goes from 1970 to 1990 and um so if i don't if i don't go into a lot of depth it might because i want people to be i don't i'm not skimming over the top because it's boring i'm skimming over the top because i want to Make sure there's something, a lot of surprises for people when they get my book. That's no, that's no problem. So, but how was it for you to pick up the bass? Was that was that easy for you? Uh, yes, it was. It wasn't a problem because I used a pick, and it's got a neck like a guitar, and it's got strings like a guitar. And I used a pick, and I just picked notes on this, you know, and I used what my inherent talent was which is having some taste and and uh inclination about how to you know do the how to see what what i could bring to the songs now the band as the band started getting bigger what was that like for you i mean it was something that you had joined later and you had come from to austin and you always wanted to be a musician how was that affecting your life well it was a a dream come true. I mean, from the from the first shows with the Go Go's, you know, I had I had been hoping to be in a band that would have that kind of trajectory, and I I was not in a band when they asked me to join. So it kind of I had quit uh, the Textones, and so I had been kind of a free floating agent for about three or four months, and. You know, for a band to sell out four nights at the Whiskey was was a pretty big deal. Even, the, you know, they weren't, the Go-Go's weren't signed or anything, but, um, you know, to have sold-out shows was, so right then, just from the, the, the get-go, it was terribly exciting, you know, to have things, you know, to be in a band that had fans that liked them. And then each step along the way was, you know, something I was very, uh, it was, you know, the thing I had wanted for a long time. So I was, each step of the way, I was very grateful and probably would have been happy if it just ended right there. Now, nowadays, videos aren't as big. What was your memories of shooting the videos? Because you got, your videos were like short movies and videos were so popular. Was it fun for you to shoot the videos? Um, well, at first we we weren't too pleased because you know it 
it was new. MTV was brand new, and you, you didn't really know the impact that videos were going to have. And we were working very hard, and it was uh, a day off. And it's like it, it felt like, are you sure this is important? Why can't we have our day off? And and it seemed, you know, kind of low budget. And I'm talking about our first video, our lips are sealed. Uh, of course, that that really helped us become known so that after that it became more evident as to why a video was a, an important part of promotion in those, in those early eighties. Now, now the album's a hit. And then on the next album, your song vacation was on that. How did you retool that? Well, we we had started putting vacation in the set on the first tour before, way before we started the second record. And I had shown the song to Charlotte, and uh, she she really liked it. And she said, "Why don't we work on uh, getting a chorus that's more uh, like a a sing along chorus?" And so we worked on the, the chorus together. The Textones had done a version of Vacation that is very much like what the Go-Go's does without the, the chorus basically. So, uh, we, we, had, we just kind of added a section to the song that wasn't there. We wrote it together. And, uh, when we started the second record, it quickly became the kind of the key cut on the record. Now, what do you remember the first time you heard it on the radio and what was that like? Oh, it's always terribly exciting to hear something of yours on the radio, or even even to this day, if I hear something that I've done, like in the supermarket or anywhere, Whole Foods is very big, I'm playing Go-Go's, but uh, it, it's always exciting, it's always a very pleasant, uh, exciting thing, so it, it doesn't really get old. Okay, so what, we're going we're gonna to save your Go-Go stuff for the memoir. So after the Go-Go's break up, what do you decide that your your focus is going to be? Um, I was quite lost, and and my my musical identity and and my life had got, had been very wrapped up in being a Go-Go. So I I kind of floundered for a while. I wasn't really sure how, to, and it was it was devastating to me as well. But I ended up uh, working, starting a new band with a a guitar player who I really liked and a couple of guy musicians who I really liked. And we had a band for a couple of years called the world's cutest killers. And, uh, Mike Chapman, a producer that I looked up to took an interest in the band. So it seemed like we, and we got some good press. We got some exciting reviews and it seemed like we might have a, uh, a chance at getting somewhere, but, ultimately it kind of went nowhere and it was it was difficult you know it was it was hard to to think at 27 I might be washed up you know that everything all the great things I would do were done that it was a, a hard time well now now when you when you how did you meet the band the people that were in this new band because it's not like now you know you can put something up on the internet you can put it on Craigslist it's not you know it's it's probably harder back then how did you formulate that band after the Go-Go's? Well, it's actually not hard. I mean, there's been bands all along before the internet. So um, most people meet, 
meet other musicians by going to gigs. You know, you you go to gigs and you meet you hanging out with musicians and you're talking to people. But Kelly Johnson, I knew because I had played in girls' school in London. I had played in that band in uh, 1974 or 75. Maybe it was seventy. I don't. I forget. Offhand, I forget. But I had played in London in a band that Kelly took my place in, actually. So we we'd been in in touch. I'd stayed in touch with the girls from girls' school. So when she moved to LA, we we just thought we'd be a good team. Um, but it's it's generally. I mean, you can you can move. Just look in ads. I mean, that's how some people meet each other, but. Generally, just I mean, even today, I still think the best way is to just go out and and see bands you like, and you see someone and you talk to them. And hey, a lot of people are in several bands. Now, the Blue Bonnets was a band you started. How did you meet uh, Dominique? How did that happen? And how did you guys know that you would be good collaborators? Uh, well, we didn't know we would be collabor- good collaborators until we started playing together. But I had I had seen her and and known her through other musicians, and I saw her playing in in L.A. in a club called the Coconut Teaser. And I asked her and um, the drummer in that band, another female, if they wanted to start a band together, and they did. And we got a singer, and we started the very first version of the Blue Bonnets in Los Angeles in 1992. And um, the the band kind of morphed and changed over years with Dominique at, and I at the core and as a songwriting uh, partnership. And when I moved back to Austin in 2006, she came here to live as well, and we, just, we met a, a, a woman named Eve Monsey, who's a fantastic guitarist, and we thought the Blue Bonnet should have another life in Texas, which because the Blue Bonnet is the Texas state flower, so we thought this is a good place to kind of give a, a version to to that band. So we've been playing together and released three records over the last 10 years. Now, in 2005, you did a solo album. What made you decide to tackle that venture, and was it a hard process for you? Um, well, I, I was, I was pregnant and I wasn't playing with, with anybody. So, because I just didn't want to, I, I gotten married and in 2000, wait, wait, I'm all confused now. No, no. Um, I had... I had a uh, just wanted. I had a little studio, and I had found people to work with: Gilby Clark and and a guy named Muddy, and and I just started writing all these songs and thought, God, I've never made a solo record, and I and I to my surprise, I really really liked doing it. Really liked making it. It was really nice for someone that's always wanted to be in a band to to have the freedom to, to do whatever I wanted. Cause in a band, you, you kind of have to run everything by the committee. So you do that. And now also eventually you ended up back with the Go-Go's. What was that like coming back when you had started to do your own thing? And as you said earlier, a part of your identity was the Go-Go's. Was it weird going back into the band? 
No, uh, the the band started working together again in um, 1990. We did a we we reunited for the, after breaking up in 1985, and then we did a tour, and a greatest hits record came out. By that time, I had this you know had kind of matured and and understood that I would not ever let myself get completely absorbed in the entity of the Go-Go's. Um, and it was a different band then because Belinda had become very successful as a solo artist and it, it was never going to be everybody's complete life again. So it was a different way of approaching it. And um, I was really grateful. I mean, at the end of the day, I always see myself as a working musician and someone who really enjoys playing music so to get to do it on any level whether it's at the club on south congress or at the theater in another city with the go-go's i I really enjoy all aspects of playing music and that i that i get to experience now what's it like playing the hollywood bowl is it just an unbelievable feeling because it's such a legendary place and you guys have played it what is that like uh, it, it was great. I mean, last last um, last summer, I played three nights with the L- L.A. Philharmonic, and it was sold out. So it was it was really intimidating, to be honest, because behind you you have the L.A. Phil, and in front of you you have seventeen thousand people, and it, it was kind of uh daunting but but exciting and you just are taking it all in and it's a beautiful venue as well but playing los angeles is always you know you've got your friends and it's it's it can be a little stressful too but uh we had played the the hollywood bowl also in the 80s it was one of our biggest shows back then and there was a, a period of time for five years from 2012 to 2018 where I didn't do the, I wasn't in the band and uh, they played the Hollywood Bowl without me as well. So the Hollywood Bowl and the Go-Go's have a pretty rich history now. Now, how did you end up back in the band? Uh, I think it was the time uh, had passed and I think the, the, the people that, decided that they were mad at me and didn't want to work with me, kind of changed their mind. And we'd had a musical in the works and the, the Broadway musical was something that, that, you know, I was always going to be involved in. It it wasn't like, it wasn't like me not playing with the Go-Go's meant that my catalog was gone or my history was gone. I was in many ways, I was always a Go-Go so when we when we uh, started getting together to promote and announce the Broadway runway run of our musical, I think uh, the the women in the band realized that they that it was a, a better collective with the original classic lineup and without a substitute taking my place. How did the musical come about? Because that's such such cool. That must be so cool as a musician when they say, "Oh, we're going to do a musical with your music based on Broadway." How did that all come about? Well, we were basically we have been approached throughout the last 
all through the, the 90s and 2000s, we've been approached about movies and books and documentaries. And this was the first time we were approached about a musical. And we just kind of said, sure, you know, we'd be interested. And because it, I think it actually worked because we didn't have to be involved that much. We, we just, it's not our world. The theater world is its very own insulated thing that has its own, you know, directors and people that write the book, which is the story that the musical is based on. And so once the, once the people, the producers kind of got a team in place and someone to write something, we were very taken with what they, what they came up with and, and signed off on, yes, we, we would like to do this. And it's, it's uh, called Head Over Heels, and it's going into licenses now. It will be coming to different cities and different productions now. Now, are you happy, so, with, oh, are you happy with the end product? Oh yeah, I, I loved it. I went I went to see it on Broadway probably five or six times and uh, I was really sad when it came to an end and now I'm thrilled to know that it's going to keep on and be playing in cities and hopefully get a run in LA and London and stuff. So I think it's going to be bringing the music of the Go-Go's to a, a lot of future new fans and keeping uh, our legacy going. That must be so exciting because, you know, bringing it to the new fans, it's so important. You know, we see things, you know, look at Journey when the Sopranos played that song. It brought a whole new group of people. For you, it must be great because, as you said earlier, you you were, you know, you didn't see a lot of female singers and you guys were one of the first bands to get hits and write your own stuff i mean that must be important as you as a musician just to spread the word to other young females who are starting well i mean i think by this time that there's you know young women are starting bands that probably have never even heard of the go-go's but which is fine because i just want to see more and more women in the musical landscape, I still don't think we are, are as represented as as we could be. I think, you know, for every band that's male that makes it, there's probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands that don't make it. And yet there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of female bands that aren't even forming. So you see fewer all-female bands in the festivals and the charts. Uh, you don't see that many bands in the charts anymore anyway. But um, I think the thing about our legacy that is most striking is that we were the the very first and the only, still the only all-female band ever to have a number one record. Now, now how would you, how do you change that landscape of the female bands not getting any attention? As someone who's been in the business, is there certain steps or is it just something that people just are clueless? I don't think there's enough females doing it. Like what I, that was the point I was trying to make is that if, if you have 500 guy bands that that are comprised of males and one of them makes it the top, you're, you don't have 500 female bands. There's probably 20 female bands that have formed. So the chance of, the, the proportions are very different. You, you don't have that many women 
forming all female bands. So there has, you know, there, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good band just because you're. All, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. What, I, what I'm saying is that there has to be a lot. Like I have to write six songs to for one of them to be a standout. It's not like everything is going to all be the cream rising to the top. So if you don't have a lot of all female bands to begin with, how or the the the, the percentage of them that are going to be great is even more minuscule. Now, in your career, how did you get into the field of being a spokesperson? I mean, was it something that someone approached you? You said your first uh, speech, you were very nervous. But how did you get? How did you get into that? How did you decide you wanted to do that? Well, I uh, I enjoy connecting with people and and finding an audience. And ultimately, when I write a song or when I perform or play. It's really about connecting with an audience and, and communicating and expressing uh, some kind of message that resonates, that there's something uh, back and forth. And so uh, being a, a spokesperson or a, speak, a speaker, a public speaker, is just another way to do it. And it, in fact, it's a little bit more stripped down because, you know, there's there's not music. It's just being myself and... And it's something that I, I just enjoy doing. If I, it's just kind of hoping to have an effect and make a mark in the world with, with, with any small way to inspire someone else or, or kind of make somebody feel less alone in, in their experience or what, or what their possibilities are. Now, on your website, people are websites, kathyvalentine.com. It's got a lot of stuff on there. It also says to be a musical director. Explain to me and the listeners, what technically is a musical director? Well, I haven't done a lot of that, but when I did do it, I was quite good at it. A musical director basically will get hired for an occasion or an event and, um, or perhaps, you know, it could be any, it could, you know, the musical needed a musical director. So your job is to bring together the musicians, bring together the material, uh, kind of just like a director on a film set. You direct what what is going to ultimately be heard. Now, are you enjoying life in Austin? Is the music scene great as it was when you remembered it? What's 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 a what's a what's your music life now being in Austin? Are you just playing a lot of different gigs, or what, what's going on? Uh, well, I think like most people my age, I, I don't really go out as much as I did when I was in my 20s, but um, there's still a lot of great music. I, I enjoy, you know, when I, I like, I enjoy playing still, I, I still play gigs and um, I went to see Metric the other night and I, I see my friends play and, you know, I, I enjoy going to I, I just enjoy the music scene's great. It's thriving here. Now, but I don't go out near as much as I used to. I, I would rather be working in my studio. I'm doing a soundtrack for my book, so I, I have the rest of the year to kind of pull that together. Would you have soundtrack for your book, so it's going to be a multimedia type project, or I I don't know how the content will be delivered, but I'm writing a, a soundtrack that is completely inspired by the book 
Now, how has your has your how has your writing style changed over the years? My songwriting? Yes. Um I think I utilize more I'm more open to utilizing uh digital electronic stuff. I mean, before I just would sit there with a guitar and a spiral notebook and that's still a go-to that I will always utilize, but I also um like just messing around with beats and, and uh, different sounds and maybe playing something on the guitar and then chopping it up and putting it in a way that I wouldn't have played it. So I, I probably, probably my songwriting has been uh, changed in the, just the use the utilizing digital technology. Now, does your memoir have a title yet? Uh, it's still being uh, bounced around with the, the publishing team. Okay. Well, when's that going to come out? When's, do you have an exact date? Yes, I do know it's coming out in 2020, uh, spring of 2020. So that's exciting. Um, and we are currently uh, just getting ready to pulling photos together and final touches and copy editing and this and that so it's the the machinery is in place and it's going to be put out by ut press which is a very classy and cool little publishing outlet here based in austin and they have and they have a wonderful catalog i'm very proud to be a part of uh, of their um their roster well, or whatever you call it when it's publishing. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I think all the listeners are looking forward to it. And now you tweet a lot. On Twitter, you're at Kathy Valentine. Yes. Do you I en- think it's actually Kathy underscore Valentine. Now, now do you enjoy tweeting? Uh, I enjoy Twitter a lot. I really, I've, I've been on Twitter since 2009. Uh, it was a little different then than it is now. I'm, I'm not very into the whole hive mind and, you know, pylon aspects of social media, but uh, I've met some really great people through Twitter that I'm still very good friends with. And I think it's, uh, I think it's, you know, social media has turned out to be a double-edged sword, you know. Yeah. But um, I, I, I try to, I try to utilize it in, you know, kind of the best ways and, and not the worst ways. I wish everyone did that. You know, it's so funny. People just seem to get this, they hide behind something and they're mean. And it's just sad because you, people aren't that mean in real life. But with Twitter, even though you're right, you, I've met so many fascinating people and gotten guests and stuff like that. But there's just some people that are just so mean that it, it almost upsets you. Yeah, and it's just, they, they find a, I think that a lot of people with with very ugly natures have found other like-minded people and it's emboldened them. And, you know, I've seen things on Twitter that I wish I never knew about in terms of just kind of the, the extreme right and, and uh, I've seen really horrific Nazi stuff and 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 racist just thing. I, I just wish I didn't know that was a part of this world. But now it's very clear that it's a big part of 
our culture and world. So maybe it's better not to be ignorant about it. Exactly. But maybe, but maybe they wouldn't have been so. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they would have died out in the darkness, and 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 now it's like they're just giving giving each other life. So, is there a solo album in your future, or is just right now you're really concentrating on the soundtrack for your book? Yeah, I mean the soundtrack to my book will be a solo album. So, so I, again, I'm not sure how the to, the content will be delivered, and I don't think it would be part of an audio book, but it might just be a separate thing. Where you know, I know when I do book tour, I'll. I'll Play, I'll perform some songs with it and hopefully read from the book, speak a little, have a back and forth with the audience and and then play as well. So I would like my, my book tour and my appearances in 2020 to be uh, really interesting and different. Is there any possible go-go tours coming in the future or is that in the past? I believe it's in the past um, that it seems like the band retired in 2016 and just does occasional stuff. So I, I don't see any, any touring. No, I, I, I would like it. I would like to record again. I would like to keep, you know, paving the, the way like we did in, in the past. But, you know, the frustration of the Go-Go's is that it's not any one person's decision. It's, you know, if it's, if one person doesn't want to do something, then that's kind of the end of it. Right. Okay, well, I want to thank you for taking time to come on the show. Uh, we look forward to your book, and hopefully you'll get a really great title. And I think a book tour would be awesome just because you you have so many, you're speaking and telling stories and playing music. It's something that it's, it would be a great event. So your website is kathyvalentine.com. People, go check Kathy out. Go to her website. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Go to my website. Okay. Have a good day. All right. Thanks so much, Steve. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Go, go to my website, coopertalk.net. Uh, email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.